You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Bob Odom, who serves in the pastoral team at LifeGate Church. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Many of you know, if you've been coming, that we've been studying in the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatian Christians, and we're continuing that. In chapter 4 today, I want to read verses 12 through 20 as we think about the ultimate purpose. What is the ultimate purpose that God has through the gospel for His people? Galatians 4, beginning with verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You know, Paul the Apostle was what what we might call all in when it came to proclaiming the gospel. When it came to not only proclaiming the gospel, but uh, writing to those Christians, those who had become Christians, Uh, writing to them and following up on them or going back to visit into those communities. He was just all in. And whether his message was well-received and he was well-received, if he was well-loved or if they threw rocks at him or if they rejected him, he was still faithful to proclaim the same gospel. He just was all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was elated when everybody responded and everybody said amen to what he was saying. He, He was elated. And he was deeply hurt when people drifted away or when people turned away uh, from that gospel. Now, uh, bear with me for a minute. I want, to, I want to show you something from some of these epistles. How much did Paul care about these people? Well, listen to this, just a couple of verses from Philippians 1. He said this, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Just He's saying right in the opening of that, of that passage, I'm just I'm praying for you guys. You just pray, pray, pray. Down to verse 7 in that same uh, first chapter of Philippians. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. This guy's all in. I mean, he's not holding back anything. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Loved it when people said, we, we hear the message. 
We embrace the message. We love what you're saying. We love this gospel of grace that you're proclaiming. 1 Thessalonians, first chapter, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Nothing held back. I'm just always praying for you, the Thessalonian Christians. All right, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, 19 and 20. What is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And he loved these people. These weren't just people that he was just fulfilling the calling of saying the gospel to people or writing the gospel. He loved them. And he loved it when they responded in faith. Back, the Corinthians, you know, were uh, not the easiest congregation in the world. Maybe you know that. They had lots of problems. Listen to what he said to them in chapter 3, verse 2 of 2 Corinthians. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You're the letter that we've written. Your lives written even in our hearts. You, you are in our hearts. When he wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, he always addressed him as Timothy, my son, my true child in the faith, writing to this pastor. Timothy, you're like, you're my son in the gospel. So there was always this love for the people. Paul genuinely loved the people to whom he proclaimed the gospel. This wasn't just fulfilling a, a job. He wasn't just doing a job. He was saying, I love you, and because I love you, I want to tell you the truth. I want to tell you that truth that will change lives. And because of this love for them, he was deeply affected when they turned away from that or when they did not respond in a way that was favorable to the proclamation of the gospel. He saw spiritual birthing as very similar to physical birthing of a baby. And and. Many of the Galatians who had responded to the gospel and gave Paul great joy now were saying, oh, we're, we're, we're thinking we're going this other direction now. And it grieved him. It caused him great pain. And he, he said he just he felt like he was in the pain of childbirth all over again because he had already he had ministered to these people. They had responded to Jesus. And now they were beginning to kind of fizzle in other directions. And Paul was so grieved by it. So in this part of the letter, there, there are some things that I, I, I gave a... I don't always do this, but here's some alliteration. Here are the, the points that I want us to grab today. Um, we want to see the apostle and the people, the apostle and the pain that he bore on their behalf, and the apostle and the purpose for which he was living and proclaiming the gospel. First of all, the apostle and the people, these people from Galatia. Well, Paul was their father in the gospel. He he said he felt like he had been through childbirth and birthing them spiritually into the kingdom of God, and he loved them. So he's their father in the gospel, and they loved him for bringing the gospel to them, and and sometimes at great expense. But they even said, or he said, you received me as if I were an angel from God or Jesus himself. That's pretty good. You know, and he was really thrilled about that. They, and he said, you, I know that you would have laid down your life for me. So there was this closeness between the people. 
And Paul even said, I know that I initially came to you because of a physical ailment and affliction. Now, you might say, well, what is it? I don't know. But uh, I, I do. there's some hints. Some people think, well, it must have been some eye trouble. After all, wasn't he struck blind on the road to Damascus? Well, yes, but the Lord healed him, so I don't know. <laughs> but he did say, when I came to you because of affliction, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Maybe that's a hint that something was going on with his eyes. I don't know. Other people think that because he had been down in the southern part, he contracted what often people did in that area, malaria. And so he went up to the northern part where these people were and, and proclaimed the gospel because he was trying to recover from malaria. Whatever it was, there was some sickness. Martin Luther thought, though, that uh, Martin Luther wrote a commentary, a book on Galatians, and he said that it's, it seems more likely to him that Paul initially went to the Galatians because of, of, of uh, opposition, persecution. Remember, Paul got beaten by rods. He was whipped. He was stoned. All kinds of things. It may be that he was going to the Galatian area because of the persecution that he had in other areas. We don't really know, and I don't, I don't think it matters a whole lot, but one of the things that does matter is the gospel was being advanced even during those afflictions. This guy loved to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And if he was sick, okay, then he was going to be somewhere that he wasn't really planning to be, but he's going to proclaim the gospel. And the people were responding to that. They took him in. They loved him. And, and when Paul says something like this, he said, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Paul is saying in some sense, I, I think he would be saying, I, I kind of became unmoored from my uh, past and my heritage. Because he said, you know, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a pretty strict follower of the Jewish law. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was just, I mean, he was the Jew of all Jews. And he said, I've become unmoored from that heritage in order to come to you, some who were Jews and some who were Gentiles, in order to bring the gospel to you. And think about how big a deal that was when the Jews did not love, like, or put up with the Gentiles. The Gentiles couldn't stand the Jews. There was this wall between them. But the whole book of Ephesians talks about Jesus broke down that wall so that the gospel goes to both Jew and Gentile. And Paul understood that. But he, in a sense, he said, I, I became unmoored from my, my, all that made me who I am in order to come to you. And now he's calling them as well to listen to this gospel that will unmoor everybody from everything because we have a new allegiance and we have a, a new way of following the Lord. Well, the Galatians did love him for that, and, and they, they recognized that this man really has sacrificed to come to us. The gospel was being advanced. Well, Paul said, and you've done me no wrong. In fact, just the opposite. They said, you're like an angel, or you're like Jesus himself. Come to us. So they loved him. So Galatians says, though, the book of Galatians, things changed. What changed and why? This is where we get to the apostle and the pain because there was a lot of pain felt in the rejection of the gospel. 
This came about because there were false teachers going to the Galatians. And they were having a big influence on those Christians. Because they wanted to do what we were hearing about today in Sunday school, they wanted to add to the gospel. But here's what they wanted to do. Add back in the Jewish law. They thought that the law would be completed, would actually complete the gospel. The gospel would be completed by adding in the law. So you've got the gospel, but okay, but you need the law in order to really be complete as a Christian. And so they were, they were coming back with just a fresh commitment, calling the people of, of Galatia back to a fresh commitment to circumcision and other aspects of the law that are written about in this letter in order to complete their faith. Well, they sought the loyalty of the Galatians in part by putting down Paul. They thought, well, if we denigrate Paul and his message, if we put that down, then it'll help us to have more of an acceptance. Now, that's always a crummy way to gain acceptance, isn't it? You've got to make somebody else look bad so they'll feel better about me. Well, that, and that's what they were doing. The false teachers, they were going and saying all kinds of things about Paul and in order to gain the loyalty and the allegiance of these Galatians. Now, when we talk about adding back in the law, you know we're talking about, um, it's not that the law is not important, but it, they, were, they were saying this, this gospel effect in your heart and your life is not complete until you've got the law. So they added in the food laws. They added in all kinds of things about circumcision or the ceremonial washing of the hands before you eat, things like that. Holy days to be observed. All of these things and many more. They added these things in and they, and they were saying, they were saying in many ways, this is the means by which you gain favor with God. Jesus is not enough. You need the law. Well, what they were saying in effect was, this gospel that Paul is preaching, a gospel of grace, is just unthinkable. Because we've got a lot to bring to the table. This caused Paul pain. Pain because he had preached a gospel of grace. Paul realized that it was not just himself that was being rejected, but it was the gospel of grace. And in a way, they weren't just offending Paul, they were offending God. And he wanted to be clear about that as he is in this letter. So he appeals to them, return to what he called this blessedness. Verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if it were possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? So Paul was saying to them, return to this blessedness, which was the blessedness of their relationship of drawing close in Christ, coming together in Christ, and in Christ alone. Gentile Christian, Jew Christian, Christians, followers of Christ. Return to that and that love for Jesus and the grace that He brings. And, and Paul felt pain, anguish when the people turned away from that or when the people were trying to go some other way. Even though, what do we hear when we see that pain that he felt? We see that painful persistence. He was saying to them, I'll not give up on you. I'm not going to give up on you. I feel like I'm going through the anguish of childbirth all over again before, for you, 
but I'm not going to give up on you. I know you're headed a different direction. Please consider where you were. Consider the blessedness of our relationship. And he persisted in following them. But it was a it was a painful thing to the apostle who had laid down his life to see the people now thinking that their obedience to the law completes the saving work of grace by faith. And Paul, in a sense, was asking if the law could be the means to favor with God, then why did Jesus die? Why did He even come if what we need is just a greater emphasis on and effort in abiding by the law? I think the pain that Paul felt is something maybe, maybe many in this room would identify with this. The pain that a parent feels if you see your child making decisions that you know will have severe consequences. Or if you know that you, you can see the child that I've loved, that I've nurtured, that I've raised, making choices that are going a different direction from following the Lord. That's painful, is it not? It's painful. And that may be exactly what hurt the Apostle Paul was feeling, what pain he was feeling. These are my, my children in the gospel. And he was crying for them. Return. Return to this relationship, the blessedness of this relationship. Return to the purity of the gospel. Don't think that you can add something to what Jesus did and make it better. Paul was in pain, really, because the gospel that was to point us to Jesus, and think about how that happens. I mean, the, the law that was to point us to Jesus. Think about that. We don't even know what sin is unless the law defines it. But the law defines it about lying, about stealing, about lust and adultery, and many other things. The law defines those things for us. And so we know the law helps us to see, I need something here. I'm not able to... And here's the problem. You've heard this. To pass the test of being obedient to the law, you have to be 100%. Any takers? 100%. Or we fail the test. We're lawbreakers. But the false teachers were saying, I'm glad that Jesus has freed you from your sin. But now you need the law in order to complete the work of grace. So Paul was in pain about this. Painful writing, painful response to the people. So what purpose did he really have in proclaiming the gospel? And what purpose does the gospel have in our lives? What's the ultimate purpose? Well, Paul wanted, again, the acceptance and the love of these people, not just for himself, but a love for the truth. Paul wanted that again. It wasn't enough for them to respond initially to the gospel, which they had done, 
But now Paul says he's in pain of childbirth again until Christ is formed in you. Until there is a Christ-likeness that begins to grow out of this relationship. The purpose of the Gospel is not to make better Jews. The purpose of the Gospel is not to be more complete law keepers. The purpose of the Gospel is not to turn us Gentiles into Jews. The purpose of the Gospel is to make us Christ-like in our very character, in our thinking, just who we are, the way we see life, the way we see people, the way we respond to God. The Gospel, remember now, this, this is a critical. This Gospel we're talking about changes people from the inside, not from the outside. Remember, all, I say this often, but I, I say it because I have to remind myself. The Pharisees and the Jews and the law the law proclaimers were always wanting to clean the outside of the cup when the inside was filthy. Always wanting to have whitewashed sepulchers when inside there were dead men's bones. They were always wanting to fix the outside behavior of people. But Jesus always changes from the heart. That's why He says you have to be born again. I mean, Nicodemus had a hundred things to commend himself. And Jesus said, you must be born again. There has to be a birth that occurs in your heart because the way God changes people is from the inside. He changes the heart. He changes what motivates us. He changes who we are. But the Judaizers or these other Jewish people were coming. And they, in a way, I mean, to be honest, they just had a way of taking all the joy out of salvation. They did, because they were saying in a way, okay, you've been free from the bondage of sin. Thank God. Now let me get you in bondage to the law. Thanks a lot. You know, I'm just, I'm, that's not very good news. But do you know what? That's still being taught to this day. I have some members of my own family who have professed the gospel of Jesus Christ and its truth but they've come to the conclusion we can be the best Christians if we memorize a whole bunch of Scriptures from the Old Testament and follow all the food laws, take on the whole law of God and live a Jewish way of life and we'll be better, more complete Christians. I have known people that used to be in this church many years ago that have said the very same thing. I know of a small town that I go to often. I won't name it today, but I will another time on a more joyful occasion. I know of a small town that has been affected very negatively by this very thing that says, yes to Jesus, but better if we have the Jewish law and live by the Jewish law plus Jesus. And we're better, more complete Christians. I know a pastor who called me and said, what do you think? Would you, would you pray for us at least? I don't know what to do. The treasurer of our church called and said, I can no longer in good conscience attend church because you meet on Sunday instead of Saturday. Because we're following Jewish law and Old Testament Sabbath. Well, they, they didn't even live in Galatia. <laughs> but there it is. We're more complete 
Christians if we go back to the law. What do we take away from this? Well, you know, one of the things that I hope we see and rejoice in, in the apostle, and especially as Christ, I, I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. We see a reflection of the Father's heart for His people. What does God want from us? Not only that we would be saved, justified, as we heard in Sunday school, not only that we would come to know Him, but that we, we would become like Christ. That requires, I don't know about, well, it takes time. <laughs> it takes time. That's why it's called sanctification in the New Testament. It's, it's the, the Word of God, the working of God's Spirit sanctifies us, forms Christ in us so that we begin to think in a way that's reflective of Scripture, so that we begin to see other people in a way that reflects that they're too made in the image of God and that we're to love them and care for them and take the gospel to them. So that we think about um, every discipline that we study in school. We think about politics. We think about family. We think about everything in light of what God has said about it. Takes time. We grow in that relationship with the Father because we've been saved by a work of Jesus Christ paying a debt for us that we could never pay for ourselves. The work the Father sent the Son to do so that we could be entering into the kingdom of God. And then what does the Son do? But He turns around and plants the Holy Spirit in our heart so that what is in our heart now that's been born again is responding to the heart of the Father and the relationship grows and develops. And the purpose of it all is that we would come to Christ's likeness. We stand in awe, the more we stand in awe of the Lord, the more we recognize our need for grace. Do you know what I hope? I believe these things, but I'm hoping someday they become even more real to me than they are today. I want to come to Christ-likeness to the point that I actually believe this more fully than I even can fathom today. We know, know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? I believe it! Um, some days it's kind of hard. Uh, I need to become more Christ-like so that things like this take root in my life more and more. Another thing. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Listen to this. We have this treasure, what treasure? The treasure of the gospel. In jars of clay, or our King James says, earthen vessels, talking about our bodies, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now get this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So, down to verse 16, we 
do not lose heart. In this walking with God, building the relationship, responding to Him as our Father, responding to Jesus as our Savior, responding to that inner working of the Spirit, as we develop that relationship, which takes time, as we grow in that and become more Christ-like, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Well, that's true. Is it not? Our outer self is wasting away, but here's what's true. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. The more gray hairs I get, <laughs> the older I become, I can see, yes, aging. But inside, it goes this way. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, passing. But the things that are unseen are eternal. In our darkest days, and in our most joy-filled days and moments, the Lord is doing the work of what? Forming Christ in us. It's the purpose that He has. It's the purpose that moved the Apostle Paul to write what he wrote because this is the ultimate purpose of God for His people. Bring us to what Jack prayed for a few minutes ago. Christ likeness. Our tendency is always to want the law. You may think, oh no, that's not my tendency. But you know what we really would like is a list of rules or just a, would you simplify this, shortcut, instead of building relationship with God, can we just shortcut it a little bit? Just give me this list, what do I need to do? Well, that's the law. <laughs> and then we try to do it and we realize I can't even do that. So give me another list. So we want something. Something. And I believe that's in part because we have an allergy to grace. Undeserved favor. Wouldn't you rather have deserved favor? I want favor, but I want to deserve it. I want the Lord to be able to say, ah, just, you deserve this. It'll never happen. We want something that's just an easy road map to follow. And the Lord says, no, here's the way it happens. I'm pursuing you. I'm saving you. I'm forgiving you. And I'm going over time to turn you into what looks like Jesus. Christ-likeness. Paul cried that out to the Lord. He, this is what he wanted so much. My little children, a term of endearment there, my little children, for whom I, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is what the Gospel does. 
Do you get up every day? Do we get up every day and say, Father, thanks for another day. What will you do in me today to make me more Christ-like? When I have a rotten attitude at work, thanks for correcting me. Thanks for helping me to know I have to go and apologize to somebody. I get up and the first thing I say to my wife, eh, or something, I don't know, some other thing, that attitude. What do we do? Do we know that we go, we apologize, we make things right because Jesus is making us more like Himself. When we suffer, we struggle, we're sick, we're in financial problems or whatever, are we building that relationship with our Father that we recognize He's accomplishing His ultimate purpose in us? He's bringing me to Christ's likeness. And He's going to help me through this day or this circumstance or whatever I face. Or He's going to help me to deal properly with the joy that He's given me or the success that He's given me or whatever that He's given. Thank God for it. The Lord is at work. This is what Paul wanted so much for the Galatian Christians. Don't try to go back to where you were. But look forward. Look ahead. Look at Jesus. Because that's the Father's goal for you. You know, there is nowhere that we see this more clearly demonstrated for us than in what we're about to do today in the Lord's Supper. Here it is. I mean, there, we, this is not just Christian habit, you realize. You realize that, don't you? This is not Christian habit. Although, I mean, habits are okay. We all have some. But if we're going to have a habit, this is a good one. But that's not what it's about. He gives... His own body and blood, we receive. He gives, we receive. He's about something. He's got an agenda. He's got a purpose. And it is to make you and to make me more and more like Jesus. To think more like Jesus. To act more like Jesus. And He does that from the inside. He grows it out. Inside, born again of the Spirit of God. Spirit of God planted in us when we come to faith in Christ. When we say to Jesus, I know that you paid a debt and I know that I can't pay the debt and so I'm asking you, pay my debts. <laughs> we don't like that. We'd rather say, I deserve this, Lord. I deserve this. But we don't. None of us do. And that's why Paul was in such anguish with the Galatians because they were saying, okay, we can take it from here. Thanks for the gospel. We got this. No, indeed. doesn't work that way. This is risky business in a way because we're saying to God, keep in mind who we're saying it to, we're saying it to God, I am utterly and completely dependent upon you. I want you to form a Christ-like heart, a Christ-like mind, a Christ-like spirit, Christ-like attitude, Christ-like words. I want you to do that in me. And so Jesus' answer is, Okay, I'm giving. Here's my body. Here's my blood. Here's my life. Now, here's my intercessions as He's at the Father's right hand. Here I am to build my likeness in you. That's what this is about. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this demonstration 
in the body and blood of Christ, Lord, these, this that points us to You. Thank You, Father, that in this we see that this, this is something You give and something that we receive. May we always, Lord, love You in that way, respond to You in that way, grow in You that way, and grow in that relationship with You that others may see Jesus in us and that we may recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is transforming. So Father, we commit to You these elements that remind us of the body and blood of Christ and the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And Lord, we don't come today to try to add to it. We come today recognizing that we need You. And we, rec we probably know it more today than we knew when we first took a step towards You. So Father, would You be drawing us back to You in new and fresh ways? Would You bless this? Strengthen us by it. Forgive us for our sins in a fresh way this very day. And help us to walk with You and to build that relationship that You desire. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.